the Weekend Show with Ken Kidney. Good morning, good evening, good night, and welcome to the Weekend Show. My name is Ken Kidney, and I have the great pleasure of being joined by my animated co-host, Garrett. Say hello to the listeners, Garrett. Hi. It's simple. I like it. This week, we indulge in one of our favourite topics, the humble cinematic efforts of a little group called the Walt Disney Company. Before we unleash the magic, however, Gar, how was your week? I'm in what I call Lord of the Rings week, 2015, as I forgot the year for a brief moment. We're in 2015, Gar. Yes. Next year is 2016, and the previous year was 2014. I can add one to numbers, Ken. Don't patronise me. <laughs> but every year I tend to watch... It's actually... It's only a relatively recent trend I've done in the last, like, two years. But I watch all the Lord of the Rings films, plus the Hobbit films now. I've, I've made my way through the first... Uh, the first year I've made my way through the Hobbit trilogy. A set of films I will adamantly defend as being good films. They are good films. They're not Lord of the Rings. The They're fir- The first one, I would say, is a little uh, sparse in terms of... of uh actual happenings i would have said the second one is i think the second one bar bar the bit where they're going down the lake uh, out of the the murkwood with elves shooting things yeah. bar that bit the first like two hours of the, the second one is super dull i found the first uh the first one quite dull i found it kind of kind of long and it was uneventful but i found the second one kept me entertained for longer no i like i like the first one Regardless, it's a good regardless Gar, this is a very serious question to test how nerdy you are. Extended editions or regular editions? Uh, I watched the extended editions of The Hobbit because they're only 20 minutes longer. Yeah. I watched the, the extended editions of The Lord of the Rings films last year. I don't think I can do it again. It's a combined, I think it's over 12 hours. It's about 12, yeah. Um, there's some really good stuff in there that they left out, actually. There is actually... Like this, it's the same with the Hobbit films. There's somewhat stuff that you consider important. Yeah. But it's left out. Because it just had to end up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, it's not one of those things where you watch, oh, there's like a second of extra footage and it doesn't make a difference. There are whole scenes and they're actually... The fourth one's an hour longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole hour worth of Lord of the Rings. Imagine being... And that no... film is three hours as it is. Exactly. Imagine being in those sequences and then being told, nah, yeah, especially like some of them involve like heavy special effects and heavy set pieces and makeup. And it's like, cut. <laughs> that's it. Sorry. But I suppose that's what, you know, uh, DVDs are for these days. Yeah. So. I'm surprised more people don't do the extended edition stuff. But yeah, I'm halfway through. And the they, Hobbit films are good films. Leave are, them alone. They are good films. Um, I don't know. I just thought there wasn't enough for three films. That would be my only. Uh, I just think only... I like them. They're good films. I leave, like the, leave the Hobbit films alone, Ken. I like them as films, but I think they could have been two very good films instead of three films. That's all I'm saying. Also this weekend, one of my favorite video games of all time is Final Fantasy VII. Yes. One of the greatest games of the current generation is Super Smash Brothers for Wii U. And this week, Nintendo had their Nintendo Direct where they announced a bunch of things that are upcoming in their games. And they announced out of left field at the end of it that Cloud from Final Fantasy VII is going to be a fighter in Super Smash Brothers. I'm guessing you've only just recovered. Yes. I've watched the trailer like seven times. Just nerdy. It's a great trailer. It's like, nerd rage. Because he's actually never been on, well, he has been on a Nintendo console, but Final Fantasy VII has never been on a Nintendo console. Yeah. But he's been in some of the Kingdom Hearts games that have been on Nintendo systems. He's been in Theatrhythm, which has been on a Nintendo system. And Final Fantasy Explorers out in January. He's also, he has a cameo role in that too. So it's not like he's never been on a Nintendo console. 
But yeah, he's in Super Smash Brothers. So you can beat him, beat his face in with Mario and, and, and Sonic. I'm assuming that will be hitting our stores in time for Christmas. Stores, sorry. I, I don't think, well, Smash Brothers is that already, but uh, they didn't announce a date for Cloud. No, so, so. Do you think he might be an expansion character? Oh yeah, he's DLC. You're paying for him. Oh. You're not getting Cloud for free. Well, you're not getting them for free either way because you're paying for the game. Well, yeah, but some some DLC is free. Well, Gary, my week was extremely quiet because I worked the entire thing. I worked like seven days in a row. So we Just have staring out the way, uh, window at the bleak, heavy rain. Literally, like I got every day I went to work, I got soaked. So I had to sit there <laughs> wet, and then I had to, then I had to uh, wade through people's problems. That's basically my week, and I was getting up at six o'clock. Um, so that's about it. And what uh, socks are the worst? Um. Uh, one of the highlights of my week was only yesterday. That's all I I got. Uh, children in need, which is the annual BBC appeal for uh, to help children throughout the, uh, Britain with uh, with life threatening injuries and uh, uh, diseases, and you know even things like when their parents die and grief counselling and stuff like that. And it just kind of occurred to me that like uh, we're based in Ireland and we just like we used to have that. It's called the People in Need House, and we just don't have it anymore. And it's just like first of all, it's a good night's entertainment. Um, because you know they get the best of entertainment to try and draw in the funds. They raise a record thirty-seven million pounds on it. That's a lot of money. And no, like and people, you know, some people, some mean people, like either switch over, join the appeal videos or stuff like that. But I'll always watch them because you Look, know there, there's a difference between the street dancer on the street who you watch his street dancing and then you walk away when he brings his hat around. That's fine. These are children who need help. Stop being heartless, mean people. Yeah. So um, I can't make it donation to children in need so i'm just going to make one to my local children's hospital instead but uh um the the point is that um it's it's just one of those things like as well as being entertaining it actually kind of gives you a perspective on life that you know even as i said i worked a week straight and i was grumbling uh there are people out there with with far worse situations and they endure a lot and you know it's it's just one night of the year where their their struggle gets highlighted and they they get the help that they need, so I'd like to see that come back to Ireland because yeah. we used to do it. What uh, else is RTE for? Yeah, we used to do it. Do you remember the people in Italy? I remember, yeah, with vaguely. the the weird mascot that looks like one of those things in a car, uh, in a car sales lot, the, you know, the, the wavy, wavy monster things. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the the theme song was like, "Come on, everybody, do 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 do." Like it's one of those weird things. Only when I thought about it yesterday, I remembered it, but I totally forgot it existed. Yeah, they used to do it every two years, but. Uh, that's just an observation for the week. Uh, so Disney, Gar. Disney. Woo. Disney. We've been talking about this for a while. Like, you know, we, we like in fairness, a lot of our podcasts have involved discussion on Disney. So we thought, why not make it an entire episode? A whole Disney show. Disney, the, the people that own your childhood and, and own like all your feelings. They even now own how you think about your feelings because of Inside Out. Exactly. And they own everything you love because they have Star Wars and, and Pixar as well, or Pixar and Marvel. Marvel. They have everything you love. Yeah. Even all those Oscar films uh, are made through Miramax and they used to own that as well. So yeah. They, um, uh, if, if you like something, there's a good chance that Disney have, have some uh, finger in that pie. At the very least, they've uh, distributed If you like sports, they have ESPN. If you like television, they have ABC. They reach everywhere. But um, specifically this week, we're going to talk about Walt Disney Animation, who are in the midst of somewhat of a resurgence in the last few years. I would say starting kind of in 2009. I would say 2008. Tentatively. Oh, yeah. Conflict. There is conflict because you would say the princess and the frog, I would imagine. Yes, I would. I would say Bolt. Interesting. I would say I would agree with you in that the signs of things turning around 
were there at Bolt because it was a, a critical and commercial success. It's a really good film. It is a good film. Bolt flies under the radar because it's lumped in with like Home on the Range is one of the terrible Disney failures. But yeah. Bolt is a good film. Interesting uh, tidbit. Uh, t- uh, tidbit. I love that word. Tidbit. Uh, Bolt started life as a Pixar film. Yeah, but then Disney and Pixar had their little falling out for a so while. So they decided they? to buy them instead. <laughs> yeah, as Disney tend to do. Seven seven billion dollars they yeah. paid for it, and uh, in that single move, Steve Jobs, the late Steve Jobs, R.I.P., uh, became the largest single ho- shareholder on the board of Disney. Do you know the the makers of Candy Crush were bought recently yeah. for like seven billion? Wow. Marvel went for six. Marvel. And I think it's a fad. You, you, you've said that before, Gar. Mobile yeah. gaming is Marvel. a fad. These, these Marvel characters have existed for like 60 years. Like uh, Star Wars, the like Lucasfilm, LucasArts, are one of the biggest uh, film franchises of all time. Four billion. I know. Candy Crush 7. <laughs> this is not the Candy Crush podcast, Gar. It's absurd, Ken. Pixar went for, how much did Pixar go for? Seven billion. Seven billion. Pixar... Like the the creative geniuses behind like creatively brilliant things billions are worth the same as, as matching three things and going pow. Yeah. Mini rant over. So we thought we'd kick off this week's show with a brief history of the studio's fortunes, the highs, the lows, the highs, the lows and the road back to glory. That's my news voice. I'm Charlie. Uh, Char- Char- I knew you said Charlie Hawley. <laughs> Charlie Hawley is our former prime minister yes our former horribly cropped prime minister so like with the as you said with the critical and commercial success of the princess and the frog bolt the, you know back around 2008 2009 things started to turn around then as we moved into the kind of the the, the, the next few years we had wreck it ralph frozen a big hero six all of which who have had critical and commercial success uh, in fact, two years in a row now, Disney won Best Animated Picture. Yeah, I think How to Train Your Dragon 2 should have won over Big Hero 6. Yeah, I I, I would be in agreement with you, but Disney... Even though I loved Big Hero 6. It's tough, isn't it? it was a tough, I, I do think it was a tough choice. It was. They're both tremendous. But um, one of the things that can't be discounted is the fact that they're... Uh, animated shorts uh, is in particular two recent ones called Paper Man which we discussed a couple yeah, of weeks ago yeah we discussed ago. both of these a few weeks ago and Feast uh, both also won Academy Awards so they're, they've basically got the animated category both of them uh, at the Oscars tied up for the last two years and both are lovely little films uh, but it's basically returned to the main stage of animated pictures uh, in terms of both critical and commercial success and the reason I mentioned the shorts is I think that a reason that they're being so successful is because basically the shorts act as a feeder system and a talent development development program. Pixar have long since used this strategy because they started in shorts of letting younger people handle these films and then it, it, tra- it brings them in. They kind of pr- it, it kind of hones their crafts and you can see what their ideas are like. So you see if they're kind of they've got potential to step up and take on a feature, you know. I just sure hope the people behind Lava don't make a film anytime soon. Gareth's not a fan of Lava. I think this is the, like the third time I, I've shat all over Lava on this podcast. But it's kind of like any industry. Industry, I think uh, history has shown the success of the studio and animated pictures in general to be cyclical. Uh, Following their heyday of the mid uh, 20th century, uh, the studio entered a period of decline. Walt Disney's death in the late 1960s kind of coincided with the deterioration of both in terms of revenue and quality that would last until the late 80s. So 
basically died in 66 and it was nearly two decades until they got back on track. I, I call this the rescuers period of Disney. <laughs> Although the rescuers is one of the rare exceptions that is actually a success. They made like 17 of them, though, didn't they? It feels like they made 17. They've probably only made two. They did <laughs> only make two. The rescuers and the rescuers down under. It's actually the first Disney sequel. Ooh. That actually, was it released properly? It was, both of them. Because there, there are a bunch of them, but they were released like straight to DVD. Yeah. Like the Lion King 2 was released straight to DVD. That's just madness when you think about it. Basically, they basically they hit a point where like besides the rescuers which actually did work out pretty well for them um both uh, when they released it uh in, in walt disney's era and then the sequel is actually released i think in the, at the end of the 80s or the yeah toward the end of the 80s yeah so that's when they started to back, get back on track uh but 1985 was a, a, a an unprecedented low when the black cauldron failed to recoup its costs which uh it's not it's it's not untypical of a disney film like even pinocchio which over time has become a classic you know at the time just because it was around kind of war time it just didn't make that much money uh it, it was uh got an okay reception but over time people come to appreciate it um but you know the, fi- the film was so poorly reviewed that it wasn't even released on on uh home video <laughs> until uh 1995 clearly a high priority for them 10 years later uh so it's it's uh, as you can see it's, it's a far cry from the sustained sustained period of huge critical and commercial success uh for the previous three decades starting with 1937 snow white which was the first feature-length animated picture i had the the pleasure of going to the walt disney family museum recently which told the story of walt disney so uh snow white is featured and it was a massive gamble they spent like a couple of million on it which at the time was a a lot of money like and they're having to borrow money to fix the picture there's actually a mistake in the animation towards the end of the picture but they're like we just have to release this at this point <laughs> just leave it in but uh people didn't believe that an animated picture would sustain an audience they're like a little thing that you have at the start of a picture but you wouldn't to entertain the kiddies or yeah exactly we wouldn't have sustain people over an entire picture but like the entire audience was in raptures apparently at the first screening they were just spellbound by it. And it is a spellbinding uh, medium because the only limit really is your imagination. I know technical uh, skills and technical limitations do limit things somewhat. but Well, less so these days. You can do more in an animated film than you can do yeah. in a, in a You can create a whole film. fantastical universe, if you like. So signs of a turnaround ca- uh, came with the release of 1988's Oliver and Company, which is the bolt of the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically it was a kind of a first of all it was a financial success but it was actually a return to the the musical format which they had abandoned for a while and we're going to talk about that later but i think it's a, a key component in all disney films uh, the, the music basically i think most of my memories come from the music they make it right like the little mermaid which is the next film they released after oliver and company we watched that recently it's not that good a film yes but, but it has great songs yeah I was kind of disappointed. I remembered it more fondly. Maybe it's more for the girls, I think. Yeah, um, no, but like Part of Your World and Under the Sea are like top-notch classics. But the film is like, yeah. <laughs> but the songs are great. But uh, as you mentioned, The Little Mermaid is considered uh, the start of what they call the Disney Renaissance period, which lasted for another 10 years after that. So it kind of still lasts today. 
There was a bit of a blip, but it, it wasn't, wasn't such a long blip that you would call the end of Renaissance period. No, I think it was from about 2002 to 2008. So it was about yeah. six years. So it was, you know, it wasn't the kind of de- first. Well, it was two decades and then it was like kind of a, dec- a decade of, of success. And then we have kind of a six year lull. So it, it was much less than the two decades they had yeah. after the death of Walt Disney. Uh, but literally they could do no wrong in the 80s and 90s like hit after hit after hit mostly based on fairy tales do you think that made it i have i have a theory about this ken a whole theory about disney films and based off source material go ahead i think disney films that are based on prior source material succeed and the ones that don't generally don't because when you think of them Pooh, The Rescuers, Robin Hood, Sword in the Stone, 101 Dalmatians, Fox and the Hound, Sleeping Beauty, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Bambi, Snow White, Pinocchio, uh, Dumbo, Cinderella, uh, Little Mermaid, Frozen, The Lion King, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules and Mulan, all based off pre-existing properties. All adaptions of, pre- uh, of mostly books or stories. Yeah, well, let's say... Like people consider The Lion King an original film, but it's it is, Macbeth. It is Macbeth, basically. And Whereas Dinosaur, Fantasia, Emperor's New Groove, Atlantis, A Home on the Range, some of them were kind of inspired by stories, but they're mostly original ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Treasure Planet didn't make that much money. Either. Yeah, but that was based on a property, so that's an exception that proves the rule. Yeah, but uh, basically, it was a, a streak of successive hits that lasted from about 1988 to. 1999 with Tarzan. Um, then after that, they had a kind of couple with Brother Bear and Nilo and Stitch, which were successful. But um, Nilo and Stitch is, is is a tremendous film. It's it, it's kind of the, the the diamond in the rough of their terrible period. Yeah, and it, and, and Brother Bear is, is quite an enjoyable really, film as well. If, if you if you look forward to netpicks, that's what my netpicks. <laughs> it's it's got a bit of a familiar premise though. It does, but I don't mind. But uh, Lilo and Stitch is directed by Dean DeBloy and Chris Sanders. He went on to do How to Train Your Dragon. And you can see very similar ideas in both films. They're both essentially boy slash girl and they're dog films. Just the dog happens to be a an alien that wants to kill and destroy the planet and a dragon in the other film. But I, I really like Lilo and Stitch. It's a really dark, weird film. So that was made in 2002. So as we come out of that, past Brother Bear, which was around 2002 as well. Yeah. Uh, we start to hit the decline period uh, in the early 2000s. Because, yeah, they kind of had Tarzan and then they had kind of Lilo and Stitch, which was, Lilo and Stitch did really well as well yeah. kind of financially. And then they, they, they kind of collapsed. <laughs> yeah. Brother Bear made money. I'm pretty sure either Atlantis or Treasure uh, Planet, one of them made money and one of them not. I can't remember. Yeah, Home on the Range bombed, though. Uh, <laughs> basically, yeah, Home on the Range was their 2004 offering, which was about anthropomorphic cows. Uh, well, in Tr- fairness, Disney have weird ideas. Trying to save their farm. Uh, it was such a failure. It was deemed such a failure that it killed all 2D projects on in the studio. Yeah. Killed it, 2D dead. They were like, no, we're not doing it to do 2D anymore. We're going to do 3D. And uh, they laid off most of their animation department, sig- signaling the, the demise of the institution that was the House of Disney. That that iconic uh, animation studio. You may have seen pictures of it. It's got the, the, the wizard's hat on top. It's kind of like modeled after uh, Mickey Mouse in Fantasia. It's a fantastic building. Got rid of it all. Focused mostly on 3D and live action ventures with Selena Gomez and the like. Yeah. And and, and these days they can't buy a live action hit to save their life. Bar the, like the, the, the Marvel and Star Wars properties. John Carter or anybody. Yeah. So had the magic simply gone, Garrett? Uh, Disney's second decline, I think, can be attributed to a number of factors. Uh, they're subject to stiffer competition. Like, yeah. Shrek. Uh, basically... 
the person they stiffed, Jeffrey Katzenberg, used to be head of animation at Disney. They sacked him and he formed his own yeah. company. Uh, he formed DreamWorks. Um, and they had Shrek. Shrek was a, a monster hit for them. Especially during this particular period and Ice Age. I, I, as I said, I just mentioned, their kind of a, a focus in general has shifted to the lucrative teen, uh, tween, I should say, tween, tween movies, tween market with Lindsay Lohan vehicles and later the high school musical franchise. Uh, ironically, Disney's distribution production partnership with Pixar undermined their own releases as well. Yeah. So. And um, um, what are they? Ron Clements and John Muster kind of stopped making films. Yeah. They made Treasure Planet. Yeah. Which is a... <laughs> yeah. But like they were responsible for Aladdin, Little Mermaid, Hercules. They're going to be making Mona. They made Princess and the Frog. So you, like they have... like you, They have a bit of a magic touch. Exactly. So when they went away, things got bad. When they came back... Yeah. They struck gold again. So there's something to be said, said for New Blood, but they have to be guided yeah. by the... And Alan know. Menken songs. Yeah. If there's a Disney song you love... There's like a, a nine, an eight out of ten chance that Alan Menken wrote it. <laughs> exactly. Pixar films eventually garnered the same kind of box office success that Disney's Renaissance period had in the previous decade. Probably more so, I would say, even. Yeah. Hit. Especially kind of part. They, they took over Disney's role as kind of making very culturally significant animated films. But Disney just got a bit safe. I think I know they also all, technically you could say basing your things on or your your pieces on fairy tale is safe but they just kind of there's kind of just coasted uh, coasted early 3d offerings like chicken little and meet the robinsons were deemed melodramatic i read this off of many articles that they were just like <laughs> melodramatic <laughs> which is probably the worst you can get uh i just think they lost sight of the vision and the fearless approach that paid dividends in the end and kind of the heart in in the past yeah they lost I mean, some of the heart basically i don't think they, it took them a long time to recover after walt died and they found that vision again and then they lost it again. So yeah. uh, Walt Disney himself, uh, I, I like telling the story, was notorious. He just, he, he, sometimes if he didn't like a film, he'd just scrap it and start again, no matter how much money or time they spent on it. They'd throw it out the window. Sometimes after months or even years of work, he would th throw the film. A, a notable example being uh, Pinocchio and The Jungle Book. Uh, rather infamously, um, Beauty and the Beast was in production for six months when the studio head Jeffrey Katzenberg, who got ousted and then yeah. DreamWorks, uh, ordered that the film be scrapped and start over again from scratch. It's ballsy. Uh, one of the key elements that changed was they made it a musical. It wasn't going to be a musical. Yeah. And it was the first ever film in 1992 to be nominated, uh, 91, 92, to be nominated for Best animated, uh, best Picture, I should say. Best Animated Picture didn't exist for a few more years. Can you imagine the Beauty and the Beast film without Angela Lansbury singing Beauty and the Beast? I know. If if if, if you guys, like, if, if I were to have a death wish, it would be while I'm dying, Angela Lansbury just be sitting over my deathbed singing me Beauty and the Beast. I'd be like, I can go happily. I've actually seen the reel of the first six months work. It was done in England, actually. They were working on it in England. It's terrible. It's like, they should burn it. I should not have had to see that. But uh, you, that, cri you cried. You cried when you watched that. I, 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 I have a, I, that's one of my vivid childhood memories. I'm not afraid to say it. It's emotional. <laughs> Ken thing. crying when he turns back into a man. It's Spoilers beautiful. for a nearly 30 year old film. Well, oh, 20 odd. 20 odd. That's depressing. But the point is that I think... Well, Walt Disney was a bit insane and he didn't compromise like he was a bit of a uh, uh, a, a hard taskmaster. Those values that he had and those principles that he created was what brought them to the dance. 
is what fueled their renaissance and when they got back to it it's what fueled their period now which which i have dubbed the new renaissance renaissance 2.0 electric boogaloo so it began to change around again in 2007 when they bought pixar basically yeah they, they just bought the smart people and uh, then john lasseter kind of took over disney as well didn't he yeah so that's that's basically the reason the acquisition bought john lasseter back to disney who had sacked him in the in the 80s or 90s yeah, and then he went on to make toy story and a bug's life and monsters inc and all those films you love he went on obviously to become a founding member of pixar and along with steve jobs changed animation forever uh Basically, uh, it brought a lot of people as well, like Ed Catmull, you know, got brought into the fold of Disney, essentially. Uh, and one of the key changes he made, he basically got with the with the. With the he like he got terminated for, from Disney for stepping on toes, but then he came back and he was the boss, so he could do whatever yeah. he wanted. It's just like, yeah, we fired you, but now run things. <laughs> one of his key his key steps was to restore 2D animation. And he said, you know, we had to get back to basics. We had to get back to what, uh, what made us great in the first place. So he brought back 2D animation at the, 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 the studio. And there is a studio there now, thankfully. They've kind of reestablished it. And they, do, they, like, they, don't, they still do the 3D stuff. But every few years, they actually make a point of commissioning a 2D. Yeah, sure. Poo was a 2D film, wasn't it? Yeah, I think Mona is going to be one as well. And that, that Poo film is delightful. If you did the, 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 I think it's 2011. Because there's, there's the original 1977 Pooh film. But w- watch the more recent Pooh film. That is an utter delight. And there's, an, there's another point. that he, he also rehired Ron Clements and John Musker. Yeah. And they held Princess and the Frog, which was a 2D picture, which they had totally discounted yeah. only a few years earlier, which made Mega Money. And said so they're doing Mona, yeah. starring Dwayne Rock Johnson. Uh, and, you know, it, it kept on coming. 2010, Tangled, which is pro- like... I was going into that being a bit cynical and I came out. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It, it's, it, it's it both, it's, it's like the anti Little Mermaid because it's both funny and charming and entertaining and it has great music. But it, it marked kind of a new direction for the studio combining CGI and traditional techniques and principles. And by the way, Tangled based on Rapunzel. It does, yeah. The, 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 the theory holds up. Even if you look at uh, Racket Ralph, which isn't technically based on anything, it, it draws plenty of inspiration from video game worlds. But Lasseter felt that three, uh, 3D animation, while a, a revolution, 2D animation created more character believability. And I suppose like that place in our hearts, like 3D seems almost a bit too advanced. The, for, some, for me, the imperfectness of 2D makes it more relatable to me i, I don't know how to describe I've, it. I've always thought for human characters 3d animation looks a little weird yeah you know for stuff like toy story with toys or, and most pixar films which pixar films tend not to be about humans or at least a lot of them tend not to be about humans yeah uh, i th- i always thought 3d just looks a little off it does work whereas 2d kind of works there's yeah. a charm to 2d animation for for human figures yeah i think that's a good point so uh wreck it ralph praised by critics uh, as the most original Disney concept in years. Interestingly, that was actually in development as far back as the 80s, but they've only they only managed to get it done. In well, Pixar had that famous like list of films. Yeah. Like like you can see Wally in Toy Story, isn't it? Yeah. Because they had those ideas locked down. Like it's like, here's our list of ideas. Let's make a bunch of films. Exactly. Uh, Frozen, an, ad- an adaptation again of Hans yeah, Christian Hans Anderson's, Anderson's. Uh, famous Snow Queen. 
was a smash hit grossing well over a billion and double that in merchandise. Yeah, it's become a bit of a sensation and there is going to be a direct sequel. Yeah, uh, I think one of the important things there is uh, I, I wanted to note that as well as um, obviously, you know, the, the return to tr- traditional values, there's more of a role for women at animation in Disney now. As uh, as you may have uh, seen, Frozen is co-directed by Jennifer Lee. Uh, one of the one of the uh, talented uh, female animators at Disney, and uh, I'm not like you know. Uh, as I said back in the day, um, uh, famously their their first golden period, what they called the golden period of animation, was he- uh, headed by what they called the nine old men. Yeah, but I think in two thousand and uh and fifteen, you just need uh that kind of influence there. You need input from both sides and when like you can see plenty of female characters in the older disney films like in snow white or cinderella or like pocahontas but they're but, written and created by men yeah and they fill a very very kind of regimented rigid mold stereotypical where female characters in disney films these days while maybe still a little bit in that mold they are a little bit more complex I yeah think especially like, like frozen is just like women kicking ass yeah it's like we don't need no guys we're just going to sing songs about becoming ice queens. <laughs> Big Hero 6 wasn't quite the hit of Frozen, but it is a Disney princess film and that's going to make the money, you know? Yeah, and in fairness, to, to compare it to something, it's like when Iron Man 3 came out after the Avengers, yeah. Iron Man 3 made $1.2 billion, which was less than the Avengers 1.5. And people said, oh, it's a bit of a flop. Yeah. No, it's not. Big Hero 6 made like six, seven, eight hundred million dollars totally did uh, more than enough business for disney to be happy and i'm pretty sure they're also making a sequel to that yeah nearly 660 million and it won the best picture and it's based on a pre-existing property a man of action comic which was bought by marvel which then disney bought disney but it's actually it's it's a relatively obscure comic and baymax looks super weird in the comic yeah they changed it quite a bit for the better like as i said disney took a lot of these pre-existing stories but they disneyfied them there's, yeah. a, there's a very like Peter Pan is a dark enough story. Some might say they euthanized them, but they made them like like Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm. They're they're kind of depressing and they're not yeah. kid stories, no matter how much they try and present them as kid stories. <laughs> but what what I want from a Disney film, I want maybe fall in love with them. First of all, I can identify with the stories. You know, just, you know, uh, a, a loner essentially sometimes. Usually with the parents being killed off. Yeah, struggling to to, to fill their destiny. So much so that when it happened in Frozen, it's just like boom, parents tick, dead. Tick the box. Yep. <laughs> but it's also just like pure escapism, and that's what you want from like a film. You're just like, I have my troubles again. I had an annoying week at work. Whatever. One of the worst. Like one day was like one of the worst days I've ever had. People just kept calling me incompetent. I'm gonna go. <laughs> I, I go. I won't go off on a rant. I'm not incompetent. <laughs> But I can go and watch a Disney film and just forget. Yeah, just watch Hercules. And it's like, bless my soul, Herc is on a roll. And you bounce your head up and down and you go, Hercules! And you're it, happy. It, it just reminds me of a t- I suppose what it does, it takes you back to a time when you were more innocent. It just kind of links you to your childhood. And that's what's the, what the appeal is for me. And that's why I've never grown out of it. We could say so much more, Gar. Uh, we're we're going to go a bit over time. Before so. we get out, Ken, yeah? favorite Disney film? That's a very, very hard question. Yeah. Um... I'm going to say Aladdin. Ooh. It was the first film I ever saw in the cinema. Right. It just had it had it all. Like it had a, a good pre-existing source material, interesting side characters, a good antagonist, good protagonist. Robin uh, Williams. Robin Williams, who was amazing. And uh, great music. Great music by Alan Menken. Yeah. Um, 
And um, by the way, Galavant TV show has Alan Menken music. Genius. It's a great show anyway, but that pushes it over the top. But what about you, Gar? Uh, I go Lilo and Stitch. Really? I really like Lilo and Stitch. I think it's a super charming film. And, you know, you just mentioned music, Gar, before we go on to our next segment. Uh, what do you think the role of music is in past and current success? We kind of touched on it there. Well, if you look at Wreck-It Ralph, it had no music. Big Hero 6 had no music. Yeah. So it's not essential. No. Films don't need the music. Good music helps. Yeah. Like if I, if there's a film that I like that has good music, I can watch it over and over again. Yes. Because I just wait for the songs. Like I, I really like the Les Mis, the, the recent Les Mis film. And Frozen is proof in the pudding there. Cause... And it's the same with the Muppets. Like, like Muppets films that have better songs are better Muppets films. Like people watch Frozen again and again. Like even if you know the plot back to front, you just want to hear the songs. And yeah. that's... Uh, so in, in like, and that's probably why it had an extended theatrical run, which got it more, more, and more money. I had a, a sing along re release the next year. Uh, as I was about to mention, that re releases garner more and more money. But I think that they create a character to the film that just wasn't there for, as in Beauty and the Beast. I've seen what it was before the musical. Yeah. It was terrible. So you shouldn't try to shoehorn it in just because Disney is, is like, Disney is known for musicals. They've always been known for musicals and they got away from that and it, it coincided with a, a low period, as you said, with Big Hero 6 and and other films. It doesn't have to be. Rocket Ralph as well doesn't have to be a musical. But I think that it just uh, it just augments certain stories. Yeah. And other ones it doesn't. But And like in the case of The Little Mermaid, it makes a mediocre film much better. Yeah, it just gives them life beyond the story because uh, it, it you can watch the film without basically looking at the story. If you don't want to, you can... Basically, you can go on YouTube and listen to all the songs, yeah. and and it'll, uh, I I think that again, it's just a kind of a, one of those things where music and animation are two very very powerful mediums. So when you combine them, it makes a super medium. I would say, yeah, it just creates something something special. And I don't know, they over the years they've just gotten the the, the most fantastic writers. To, to just to, and it's not just the songs; it's the scores as well. I mean, the score to the Lion King. You know, has that African kind of Hans Zimmer undertone. It's just like it's just one. I listen to the score on its own. Is I, it this land? Yeah, yeah, this land. Great, just great piece gives of music. Me the goosebumps. I, 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 it makes me well up even listening to it. Yeah. Plus, so, it has Elton John doing the soundtrack, so that helps. It's not. It's not that Disney films can't live without music, but I think with any film, the music is the. It's the, integral. It's integral. Like uh, we talked about, How to Train Your Dragon. That has like a brilliant score. With a different score, that's a totally different film. Like, music is integral to films. Uh, we'll just sum up by saying John Lasseter brought the emphasis back to high-quality animation, enhanced by memorable characters and music. It seems that a return to traditional values mixed with modern techniques uh, is the recipe for success. Even though history has shown that this renaissance may be all too brief, it has shown that the results will endure. We will be right back after a quick break with our top Disney villains. Do stay tuned. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Download every Sunday at soundcloud.com slash the weekend show. You are very welcome back to the Weekend Show. No Disney hero would be complete without a big baddie to throw a spanner in the works and threaten their happy ending. So we continue our Disney discussion now with our top six Disney villains. Why not six? Because Ken couldn't narrow it down to five. I like too many of them. Yeah. Let's get started. 
So at number six, we have Clayton from Tarzan in 1999. You see, uh, where, where my relationship with Disney villains comes in is the Kingdom Hearts games, actually. Yeah. Because I think all of the ones we're about to mention, except maybe Scar, were, were villains in Kingdom Hearts games. So I'm yeah. like, yeah, I like Clayton. Well, the first one, is, the first point is he's voiced by Brian Blessed, which is... Yeah, he is the coolest voice. He does. I'm Brian Blessed. What I like about them, him, though, was he wasn't an outright villain at the start of the film, but he just later reveals his true colours. It was similar to the way Frozen did. In true villainous fashion. But like he's just a haughty, aggressive uh, hunter who is clearly more interested in hunting animals than researching them. He wants to kill the monkeys and make the profit off of them instead of... Instead of helping the monkeys like Tarzan wants to. Yeah. One of, uh, one of the reasons I put him on the list was he has one of the more shudder-inducing deaths of any Disney, vi- Disney villain. Do you remember what happens I to him? I don't remember what happens to him. Um, should I spoil it? It's, well, it Does is, he get eaten by the tiger? No, the tiger. Tarzan kills him at the start. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, just quickly mention it. Basically, they're swinging through the vines uh, and he's slashing away vines trying to basically slash Tarzan's vine while they're fighting on vines. And uh, he, uh, he, basically they fall and he gets a, a vine wrapped around his neck and then he's slashing away. And Tarzan's like, you, you should probably stop that. And then he slashes a, a, a vine and then one of his, his vine falls and he, gets, he basically gets hanged to death by the vine. That's dark. Yeah. He's, That's he's very dark. <laughs> basically he falls until it, it slack goes and he breaks his neck. Yay, kiddies! Uh, it should be known that thought was given to Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, but these guys are kind of similar. They're yeah. very similar characters, so even kind of sound the same. He wins for his manipulativeness and brutality. Yeah. So number five, Gar. Uh, number five is one I'd have higher. I disagree because Ken made this list, and I'm going to disagree with it at every turn because that's what the internet is for. If you make a list of things and have a comment section, the only existing reason for that comment section is to tell you why you're wrong. Uh, Jafar. From Aladdin. Yes. I thought Jafar was a great villain. He was. Because he, he was like, he's pro, he's a proper villain. He has the suitably deep voice. Because all these villains, for some reason, have strangely deep voices. Because that makes them bad. He does have that foreboding, dark presence on screen. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one of the reasons I mention a lot of these people on the list is they have a cool villain song. Yeah. And his, his is the reprise of Prince Ali, where he basically, uh, once he kind of, Foils Aladdin and shows him to to be to not be the prince that he claims to be. He basically kicks him when he's down in the form of song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in fairness, uh, uh, putting anybody down via song is ideal. Yeah. So uh, he's voiced by Jonathan Freeman in in just the right over the top fashion without being too much. You know, he's yeah. kind of like he's melodramatic, but he's not too melodramatic as the the poor. Uh, uh, Chicken Little and Meet the Robinsons. <laughs> Their terrible melodramaticness. M- number four, Maleficent. I think she's kind of the classic Disney villain. Some people, a lot of people, have her top of the list. Yeah, she's the quintessential villain from 1959's Sleeping Beauty. Uh, basically, she's an evil fairy that takes offense to not being invited to a christening and decides to ruin <laughs> everyone's life as a result. <laughs> you didn't invite me to a christening, so I'm gonna kill you. Well, actually, not kill you. I'm gonna put you to sleep for life. Life. So she's uh, voiced by Eleanor Audley. Uh, she is a really cool character design as well. Yeah, which is iconic. Like in all the adaptations since in Maleficent, which was the recent film with Angelina Jolie, which kind of retold the story. She wasn't a, a, an irredeemable villain in that. Yeah. Uh, same character design, same Once Upon a Time TV series. Always maintains same the same Hearts. design. Exactly. That's why I like Kingdom Hearts, actually. It's just full of Disney fan service. 
but with uh, basically, basically with her gothic, elegant uh, design, dramatic and flamboyant animation, unlimited arsenal of powers, Maleficent is one of the most popular, well-known Disney villains, and she f- turns she into a freaking turns dragon. Turns into at the end. a dragon. That's all you need. Anyone that turns into a dragon wins by default. Genius. Uh, number three, girl. Do you want to take it? Hades. Probably the funniest Disney villain. From Hercules in 1997. He is the ruler of the underworld uh, and uh, uh, the boss of Pain and Panic, who are the little psychics in the film. Uh, he's Hercules' uncle and arch nemesis of his young, uh, of his older brother Zeus. Because more than any other Disney film, he, he does play for laughs. He does play for laughs. And James Wood is the perfect person. Yeah, James, to, Wood, James Wood does a tremendous job with Hades. To, to voice that character. Basically, his plot is to overthrow Zeus and rule... Uh, atop Mount Olympus in revenge for being shunned and resigned to the underworld which is basically any Hades thought ever a crap job yeah. <laughs> in, in, in terms of all the gods running river sticks he got the god of the, the dead basically yeah. uh, hilarious and menacing in equal measure but don't let his wise cracking fool you he is scheming and vicious and he'll turn red and try to kill you but that's the thing because like he does play for laughs but he does have that undercurrent of absolute malice to him. And I do like that kind of character shift where blue Hades is kind of chuckle chuckle scheming Hades red Hades is I'm going to kill you exactly uh, in at number two I think no nobody will be surprised by this but some people would say that he'd I be would, number one I would say number one though my, my only criticism of number two Scar is that Scar is essentially a lion vers- version of Jafar he is. He does. He even looks pretty much like. Yeah, him. They're, they're very similar face, facial expressions. He is a scar turned into a lion, or Jafar. Maybe that. Maybe he is Jafar turned into a lion. Ken. <laughs> oh my god. We just, we just blew the whole thing out. Connected universe. Anyway, Scar from 1994 is Lion King. I don't think anyone knows, doesn't know who Scar is at this stage. Yep. Voiced by the great Jeremy Irons. Tremendous song. Tremendous villain song, which I think is like uh, a badge of honor to all villains. It's like the the quintessential like what makes a good villain into a great villain is pre-prepared uh and in credit to jeremy irons he does sing most of that song yeah. there is a bit of a high note where he which switches to where a voice actor all the way up to the, the top of be prepared be prepared, be prepared. but basically his motivation is that his brother mufasa his younger brother yet he is the king yep like he feels like he should be the king because he's the older one so he decides to to kill him so he could be the ruler of pride rock and long live the king is one of those iconic lines I, just, I have a note in the script here. It will actually ring in my ears forever. Yeah. It just it's, like, it's just like, no. My stomach plummets when I see it to this day. Uh, and I, uh, So just basically one of the more memorable from the Disney Renaissance. In at number one, Gar, this this is maybe controversial because as you said, a lot of people would put Maleficent and Scar at number one is Judge Claude Frollo from The Nunchback of Notre Dame in 1996. Totally don't remember him. Like, not even... I couldn't tell you what he looks like. <laughs> Let me describe him, Gar. The, hunch, uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, as you know, stars Quasimodo. So Frollo, Frollo is the Minister of Justice in the city of Paris. But he's xenophobic, fanatical, and self-righteous to the point of hypocrisy. That rings a bell lately, doesn't it? He's voted by the late Tony Jay, who nailed it. Uh, one of the things he does is he kills Quasimodo's mother. As as is one for Disney films, parents have yeah. to die. All he, parents must die. <laughs> his hypocrisy is that he uh, he's, he's righteous and religious, and yet he lusts after Esmeralda, even though he thinks all gypsies should die. And uh, there's, there's one really callous moment in the film where there's people who harbor the gypsies, you know, so they'd be safe. And he and what he does is he locks them in their house. He says, you're under house arrest. And then he, he uh, sets their house on fire. That's super dark. Yeah. 
I like when Disney gets super dark. And then he goes to the the City of Fools, which is where, where all the the gypsies hide. It's like their secret hideaway. And he uh, orders them all to be slaughtered as well. So that's where that matchbook girl short comes from, that dark edge of Disney. And I would say that he has uh, probably the, the best Disney villain song in Hellfire. Don't know it. Uh, is I, it better than Be Prepared, Ken? It, is it really better than Be Prepared? Gar- I will be criticized for saying this, but I think it's better than Be Prepared. Oh, I'll, I'll listen to it after the show. It's a sneaky Netflix. We're going, coming up to Netflix after the break, but I would recommend that you watch this. Uh, it will it's, it'll send chills up your spine. And I want you to tell me about this. Tweet me at, at TWSKK after you're finished. I'll, if, you're, if I think you're wrong, I'll start a Twitter poll. Well, that's our list. Do you agree with our picks? Have we left your favorite out? Let us know and give us your list on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWSKK. If you're not part of the Facebook, Facebook, you, uh, it's, you're it's, so I nearly got it. You're so close again, Ken. I, the Facebook one always gets me. Although, if you're listening in Holland, that would sound like me speaking English in a Dutch accent. Uh, so I'm being racist as well as stopping <laughs> the line. You can also tweet us at TWSKK. Coming up after the break, a magical edition of Netflix. Stay with us. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You're listening to the Weekend Show. Time now for Netpicks. This week, in keeping with our theme, our picks are all Disney related, but they are still available on the interwebs. What have you got for us this week, Gar? We've been focusing on this episode in particular on Disney animation. Yes. So I figured I'd give a Disney live action pick to balance things out a little. Scandalous. The, the, this is one of my favorite childhood films. Uh, it's Homeward Bound. The story of three animals that get stranded across the country and have to make their way home to their family who moved to San Francisco, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We should clarify that this is the 90s remake and not the original because there is yeah. a, there, there, it has been made twice by Disney. And it's been based on a book as well. Yeah. Like all Disney things, they took it from someone else and made it their own. Yeah. It stars Michael J. Fox and Sally Field. And it, uh, it, I really like it. It's a really sweet story. Basically, uh, they try to find their way back to their masters and yeah. find peril along the way. And meet bears and get get porcupines stuck into their hand. Or well, not, not a bear, it's a mountain lion? Yeah. Mountain lion. But Michael J. Fox and Sally Field are the perfect casting. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the gentleman that plays... Uh, he reminds me of Tommy Lee Jones, but he's not Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, he plays the the, the Golden Lab. Um, he, he's he does a really good job as well, especially when I, he nearly dies. And yeah. like, oh, <laughs> spoilers here. Well, yeah, that you you'll go oh to no matter what. Just kind of he's kind of old wise go old wise Golden Lab that's kind of leading them to back to back home as they see it. Yeah. Uh, so There's also a sequel, but I don't really remember the sequel. It's called Lost in San Francisco, and yeah. you don't remember it because it's terrible. Oh, hot take in. No, I just, I just think it should have left it at one. But well, it's not, no, Disney no, no. never leave. Disney leave very little at one. Yeah, if they can release something straight to DVD. They'll release it straight to DVD, or they'll spin it off into a mediocre animated show. Yeah, where can they find Homer Banger? It's on Netflix, and you can also purchase it at any online retailer. I got it on DVD for like two bucks once. So there you go. Yeah, uh, my first Netflix is. Well, I'm cheating here. I'm recommending two books. Well, technically three books, but anyway. <laughs> uh, the first is The Illusion of Life by Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston. Uh, and the second is Drawn to Life, uh, Volume 1 and 2, a compilation of 20 years lectures and master classes by legendary Disney animator Walt Stanchfield. These are three... Stanchfield. Of, these are... <laughs> it's a funny name. It is a funny name. It's my netpicks. Go on. 
these are three of the nine old men I mentioned earlier who ushered in the golden age of animation at Disney. Uh, uh, what, what strikes me about these books is it's not only about how the magic was created as well as practical advice for would-be animators, but it seems like, basically you watch it on screen, it seems like magic, it seems like wizardry. But interestingly, it comes down to planning and common sense. Like it's all about, th- they talk about thinking about the action because like, like you, uh, so you don't, you, th- you think about the action, but you don't, but you don't, well on it you think about the emotion you think about the results and then let the technical knowledge inform you know, get you there so you don't think too much about the process you're thinking about the story and uh, it's they're, they're just fantastic books it's in three volumes uh i got two of them recently for uh, the two drawn to life books recently for 50 yeah uh, 50 euros on amazon uh all three books are available on amazon and it's just a, a comprehensive wealth of knowledge tons of amazing illustrations and diagrams to follow uh and if you're a disney fan or like even if you're not a would-be animator it it's it's a fascinating read and, and they're lovely coffee table books and i would recommend them as uh as christmas gifts as well we're coming up to that season so they are perfect gifts for any would-be animator illustrator or disney file i don't know what i'm getting you for christmas actually it's rare i usually have an idea but now this year i'm like eh, what am i gonna get ken if you have suggestions for what I should get Ken for Christmas, uh, tweet us at TWSKK. Actually, don't tweet us. At TWS, tweet me at Garrett Kidney, because if you tweet me at TWSKK, Ken will see it. Well, they follow you, so they'll have to... But I, if they follow me, if they don't follow you, then you won't see it if they tweet at me, unless you check my Twitter page. Do you check my Twitter page? I do. Uh, I enjoy your tweets. Oh. Anyway, my second Netflix. Uh, we were talking about this a little earlier, but during the Disney kind of lull, there were they weren't all bad films. Uh, And a particular highlight was Brother Bear, uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix. It was about the story of uh, an Inuit man named Kenai who killed a bear and was thus turned into a bear by the nature spirits in order to to see through the eyes of uh, his mortal enemy because the bears were kind of the mortal enemies of this particular Inuit tribe. Yeah, so he basically basically got, uh, but his gods told like, you gotta learn your lesson flipping yeah. a bear you totally killed the bear the bear was cowering like that was a, a callous act now you have to, to to see through their eyes yeah and there is a very very poignant part of the film where he has a psychic named coda who's I, adorable uh, uh stop listening now if you want to watch it if you want to want to be surprised by this just fast forward a little yeah uh but uh he basically uh, on his way to the, the sacred place to try and get himself turned back into a human he uh encounters coda and then begrudgingly lets him come along with him and because Coda wants to get back to his family yeah because he's been separated from his mother and he keeps talking about his mother throughout the film and you can guess where we're going with this yeah it it's a out, disney film you know it, where this goes it turns out that the bear he kills at the start of the film was Coda's mother yep and that's i didn't see that coming so it's I, rare that a plot twist in a disney film happens and i don't see it coming but it's like oh no and he keeps talking about his mother the whole time and i still didn't cop it yeah at its core, it's a redemption story, and it is one of the gems of the Disney little period. And then he, he has to make a choice at the end, whether he stays a bear and protects Coda, or whether he turns back into a human. I'd imagine you can imagine where that goes. But the journey is what it matters, and it has great music. And I was about to Phil mention Collins. Phil Collins' music, Ken. And Phil Collins came out of retirement recently, and if he does a tour anywhere near me, I'm going to see Phil Collins, because Phil Collins is amazing. Oh my god, I can't wait. I mean, I, I'll go wherever it takes. Yeah. It's the second film that Phil Collins did music for. He also did Tarzan, which also has great music. My final Netflix this week is one of the more underrated films in the Disney canon. 
as it's it it it, it was profitable, but it, it was slightly underwhelming in terms of the box office performance. Well, yeah, it profited at about one hundred and seventy million dollars. It's not yeah, that bad. <laughs> it made two hundred fifty-three million dollars off an eighty-five million dollar budget. Uh, I should mention what film it is first. It's 1997's Hercules, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, we we we've been over this. It has a great villain. We have told you that already. Yep. It's got a bold art deco design blended with traditional Greek art. Uh, Greek art. Yeah. When you think of those like art and those pots in Greek society, it's it's kind of it, it resembles that. It's a moving version of that. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, the the Greeks were some of the earliest animators because they used to draw people in motion on pots and if you could spin the pot they move so that's like so it's coming full circle in a sense so the visual style was 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 very different some people criticize it some people aren't fans of it uh i thought it was striking and it was different and it was bold uh it's got brilliant brilliant gospel and inspired music you wouldn't yeah. think like like greek mythology and gospel music like zero to hero was a tremendous song yeah one of my favorites in all the Disney uh, canon. Memorable, memorable sidekicks and who aren't annoying. That's one of the big things in Disney movies for me. Side characters that are additive to the to plot, who are are likable and aren't annoying. Because like some of them are just like just go away. Yeah. Leave me alone. I'm gonna punt you across the room. In particular, Philotetes played by Danny DeVito. Yeah, Phil. Phil is is just fantastic. A very very good title song by Michael Bolton called oh, "Go the yes. Distance." Go to the distance. Oh, that's a great song. It just it just stirs me. It's just like, yeah. it's like I love the story. As a kid, I was a little bit of I I I, I won't go into it, but I was a little bit of an outcast, a bit bullied, because I liked animation and that stuff, and I was kind of more imaginative and you know, I kind of was content in my own company and got like off in my own worlds. And uh, I think Hercules just struck a chord with me because he was an outsider trying to find where he belonged, and that's what go to distance is about in fact yeah. and uh, it's very rare that i prefer the soundtrack version to the in-film version yeah but, but michael bolton's is one of the exceptions michael bolton's version is better than the in-film it's version it's got that kind of roll uh drum roll that kind of goes yeah and you're like oh love it uh but also ken the hercules video game is great I, I i'm not a video game player as you know Gar, but you you do remember back in the day i got that video game for yeah. christmas just because i wanted to play it and i wanted to, and it's kind of silly because i one of the reasons i wanted to see it because like back then you used to in disney games i think i don't know if it's still the case you used to get cut scenes yeah like from the movie if in between levels it used to be like kind of owning a dvd <laughs> yeah exactly so and it had the, all the music and stuff like that and there's a sneaky netflix it's on the playstation store yeah so if you want to check out the Hercules game, buy it on the, on the PlayStation Store. It is quite cheap. These, I think these, they're like a fiver. Yeah, these kind of uh, reissue of games tend to be quite reasonable. From that, the that would be on PS, the PlayStation 3, though. I don't think it's on PS4. Hercules, like Brother Bear, is available on Netflix. Uh, one of the things that's interesting with Hercules, you know, it's what, like people like to watch out for, you know, hidden meanings and uh, continuity errors in films. Hercules is a fantastic film. There is a, quite a major error at the end and i want to see if people spot it it's when hercules goes to the underworld to retrieve his girlfriend who's died meg i never you see the, the weak spot of hercules for me by the way meg i didn't i never like meg i don't like meg she's kind of like i'm a tough cookie and i don't care about anyone it's like go away meg go away meg. <laughs> like it's probably like we've been institutionalized by the nine old men and their yeah. approach to kind of female characters so, in distress so one has if one has a bit of an attitude or, or like it's like no no or, or thinks for herself like no you're supposed to be weak and need, <laughs> need hercules for everything <laughs> But uh, there is a bit of an, a, a continuity at the, at the end. I want to see if people spot it. Did you spot the mistake in Hercules? Let us know on Twitter at TWSKK and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWSKK. 
While you're at it, why not give us an old like-a-rooney and follow us so you never miss a single second of a single episode. Ever. We are coming right back to wrap up the show after a quick word from our sponsor. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Download every Sunday at soundcloud.com slash the weekend show. Okay, Disney Nerds, that's our show from another week. That's Disney Nerds. Is Disney Nerds a real thing? Uh, I've seen it on the internet, so it's real. Thank you for taking the time to click play or download on the podcast. As always, you can find a new episode every Sunday on soundcloud.com forward slash the weekend show. And you can also find us on iTunes. If you like, you can even write us a review on iTunes. Why not? It really helps. If you do, we can promise that you will live happily ever after. As if that wasn't enough, you can now catch snippets of our best bits on YouTube. As always, you can reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWSKK. And where can they find us on Twitter, At TWSKK. Our theme music is by the very talented Mr. John. And until next time, say goodbye, Gareth. Bye-bye. Take it easy, everybody. (laughs) 